I said, great. Now here's what we're going to do. And I listed all these things that we can do. And she says, stop it. You don't get it. This is a gift from God. We don't have to do anything. This is our Sabbath. I said, I know, but those people are here. They're messing up our Sabbath. <laughs> I'm all for Sabbath if it means we get to lay in bed all day and take naps and eat what we want to eat and drink when we want to drink and do all those fun things that we can do all alone. But these people are here. It's not Sabbath. That's a level of Dante's. I'm just kidding. <laughs> So she had to convince me, and she was right, it's a gift. But our schedules are so complex, and we do it to ourselves. 90% of our scheduling issues we do to ourselves. And we call it, all oh, we're hard workers. All oh, we're doing it for our kids or our grandkids. All oh, we're doing it to these volunteer organizations. If I don't do it, nobody else will do it. Amen? And it all plays into this sick. Today, I like that scripture that just resonated when Jude read it. The last verse, therefore stop worrying about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Last night before bed, we were still working on today's schedule. We didn't know who was going to preach here at 945. And it's because our schedule today is so complex, self-inflicted, but it's complex. We have... Annika was coming home from a, a Girl Scout lock-in. We have Asher going to basketball in Catonsville. We have Marley in a gymnastics tournament in Bel Air. Me, not tournament. She's in Bel Air. We have the piano teacher texting me here saying, what time can Lydia come for piano? I haven't even responded to her. And so as we were preparing for bed, I said, let's not worry about any of this tonight. Let's just go to bed. Let's worry about this tomorrow morning when we wake up we'll figure it all out but we've done that to ourselves we've done that to ourselves first of all we've had all these kids we've done that to ourselves <laughs> we've been focusing on inward disciplines of meditation and prayer and fasting and study the last couple weeks if you've been with us if not I encourage you to pick up the booklet so you can uh, get caught up or check online for the audio or video of the sermon. But now we're going to kind of shift towards some outward disciplines, which actually flow out of the inward. And we're beginning with simplicity and solitude. Simplicity and solitude are the antidotes for this illness that we've been talking about. Simplicity and solitude. Turn to your neighbor and say, simplicity and solitude. Simplicity and solitude. And honestly, everything that I'm going to say from this point on is window dressing. Because the words speak for themselves. We all need to take a shot of simplicity. We all need some solitude in our life. We need community. We need to come into the house of the Lord together. We need family and friends and neighbors and co-workers to work together. But we also need to retreat and withdraw and have some solitude in our life. We need to simplify our schedules. We need to simplify our things that we hoard. And so that's the message. And it's a biblical model uh, and narrative from beginning to the end, setting it out for us. So I don't need to say much more, but that wouldn't be fun. You need a 45-minute sermon, right? <laughs> Richard Foster says, Simplicity is the inward reality of a single-hearted focus upon God, which results in an outward lifestyle of modesty, openness, and unpretentiousness, 
in which disciplines our hunger for status, glamour, and luxury. Status is the big one there. Status really drives our schedule. Status drives our purchases. In many cases, even if we don't want to admit it, even if it's subconsciously, status, our hunger for status. And simplicity is the antidote to that. We jam-pack our kids' schedules. We do. I'm speaking for ourselves now. Because we think it will raise their, and in return, our status. So we really have to look at our kids' schedules. And oftentimes, for families, if we're not careful, our own kids or grandkids become our God. Hearing amen there. Our our kids and grandkids, if we're not careful, can become gods to us. It's what we put first and foremost above God. If you put anything above God, that is a God. Amen. And it's a careful, careful balance. And we do it. And we do it. There are some things that I think Pastor Melissa and I get right when it comes to parenting. And we try to address this and we try to get a little bit of simplicity to address this. I talked about our schedules for today for our kids and it is very complex and daunting. Amen. But there are some things to do and some rules that we put in place to to add a little bit of simplicity to the chaos, like we won't let Ashley do two sports at one time. Amen? And so he is on a, a travel, a championship travel baseball team, and they have workouts all year round. Guess when he starts his workouts? When, ba- when basketball's over. We tell the coach, he's not going to be at the winter workouts. Guess what his coach says? Okay. You know why? Disaster could hit left handed and play every position. Alright? So we're in control of that relationship. And guess what Asher can do? He can play for another team and hit left handed and play multiple positions. And so we control that schedule. We control that schedule. So he will start baseball practice tonight after his basketball team loses in the playoffs. <laughs> right, Asher? Well, it might not be. 2.30 when he loses, he might lose at 4.30, but they'll lose eventually tonight, or they'll win the championship. We only play one game tonight. You only play one game today. So when they lose that game, they'll go to baseball practice. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Just kidding. But we control that. It's an antidote. Marlon is at gymnastics today in Bel Air at Hartford Community College. Her last beat of the year. Guess who's not with her? Mom or dad. She went with another family. Guess who will survive that? Marley. She will not be in therapy when she's 35 years old. Say, my dad is in that because of my <laughs> Guess what the highlight of Marley's week will be this Being week? Being favorite. Going to the store with me tonight at 9 o'clock. I'm not joking. It's funny, but I'm not joking. She loves going to the store with her dad by herself, one-on-one. That's what she will remember when she's 35. Not that she had to ride with somebody else to a gymnastics tournament. Amen? Amen. Amen. And it's hard. I want to be there with her. I want to see her flipping around the gym and doing things that I can't do. But it's decisions you got to make. She will also know that I put God first. Renee would have preached for us today. Wendy would have stepped in. That's not the problem. 
But I show Marlon that God is first. And that we have other responsibilities that I can't shirk in order to go there with her today. And she will be fine. So we do get a lot of things wrong, but we do also try to address our schedule with simplicity. Our complexity illness is not limited to schedules. We worry so much about things, they become our focus, our God, Foster says. Status comes from stuff. We flex our muscles when we fly first class. And so it's not just our schedules, but it's buying things. And that gets us in a cycle of complexity that we can't get out of. And then we have to start to worry, well, how are we going to pay for these things? Now i got to work for or i got to take a second job or a third job just to pay for stuff. Not to put food on the table or a roof over our head, but to get pay for the stuff. And the new gadgets and all the things that we have in the fancy cars. I love the story this week that addresses this simplicity in terms of our stuff. It gives a great lesson. Just because you have the means doesn't mean you have to do it. Sean McVay is the football coach for the Los Angeles Rams. He used to be in Washington. He, was, he is now the youngest head coach in the history of the league. And he's out in L.A. living with all the stars. Movie stars, TV stars, Beverly Hills, and all that money flowing. This week he went to Indianapolis to the combine. He had to fly from L.A. to Indianapolis and what was discovered is he flew southwest. Now what do you and I who are on budgets know about southwest? Economy. No first class. And usually very affordable. They said, what in the world are you flying southwest for? He said, I like southwest. I like the people. I like the flight attendants. And it was the only direct flight from L.A. to Indianapolis at the time that I knew it. And so he valued his time. Simplicity. And, and just because you have the money at the time doesn't mean you have to buy a first class ticket. And so he's not being driven by status in this case. In this case, he says, I don't care what society is this or who sees me on this economy flight, even though I live in LA and have billions of dollars at my disposal and the team's going to pay for it. Amen? A great, great model. <laughs> We live beyond our means. Every purchase adds up and it creates this vicious schedule and cycle. And then before we know it, this complexity illness has infected all aspects of our life, our relationship. We can't take the jobs that we want to take. We have to work because we're paying for all this stuff that we don't need. Instead of working jobs that we love, instead of tilling the land that we feel so close to, we have to do things we don't want to do in order to treat this illness. And there's never a cure. It never goes away. I'm just quickly 10 points from Foster, just because they're good. And I'm going to say them quickly, and maybe you'll hear one of them that resonates with you. But he says these are 10, 10 bullet points for leading a more simplified life. Buy things for usefulness rather than status. Number two, reject anything that is producing an addiction in you. Number three, develop a habit of giving things away. Now, I'm going to stop there for a second. Me included, all of us, we're pretty good at giving things away. But you know what? Usually, while we're giving things away, why are we giving things away? Who somebody said it? Making room for other stuff. And we, and we all do that. We all do that. But practice giving stuff away, A, because somebody else might need it, more important than anything. But number two, to create some open space in our homes or our buildings 
our barns, our silos. There's scripture about that. Four, refuse to be propagandized by the custodians of modern gadgetry. In other words, those commercials on TV about the newest iPhone 10, right? Don't fall for it. I'm convinced and I've talked myself into keeping my phone until it dies and not just upgrading because I can upgrade right now. I'm going to keep it until it's dead, dead. I hope tomorrow I wake up my battery is gone. <laughs> and then I'm not a hypocrite. <laughs> Number five, learn to enjoy things without owning them. All right. In other words, you know, sorry right, you go out and go to the place. Six, develop a deeper appreciation for creation. You know, if you're spending time out fishing, Steve, and not worried about going to Walmart buying things, right? Amen? All right? So enjoy the mountains. Enjoy going for a walk in the parks, the free parks here in Hampstead and Manchester and the areas. Enjoy being outside. It's free most of the time. Or your taxes pay for it. Look for skepticism and buy now, pay later schemes. Don't buy stupid stuff on credit. And again, we've all done it. One time we bought Wizard season tickets on credit. Now how, you can't get much dumber than that, right? <laughs> we were newlyweds, and I'm not going to place any blame while people aren't here to defend themselves, but I've only been married to one woman. So, uh, she just really wanted to see MJ, Dad. It was a very loving gift she gave to me on credit. That, yeah. It was. We did get to see Michael Jordan. Uh, All right, let's move on before I get into more trouble. Eight, use plain, honest speech. Nine, don't use things that exploit others. And ten, this is the catch-all, shun whatever that distracts us from seeking God purpose. Don't buy stuff or do stuff in your schedules that are going to distract you from seeking God first. And that covers a whole lot. Those are ten things. You can get those from Richard Foster online or in his book, Celebration of Discipline. Or email me if you want to see the same list again since I went over it so fast. But when we don't follow these words of caution, here's the issue. It fills our schedules and budgets to the point where taking time for ourselves, let alone God, becomes an impossibility. And so this is how simplicity and solitude work together. And I'm just going to go real fast on this uh, solitude uh, part. But when we loosen the power that things have over us, we are more capable of spending time in solitude. Here's what solitude is according to Foster. The creation of an open, empty space in our lives by purposely abstaining from interaction with other human beings. So that free from competing loyalties, we can be found by God. So the point is to step away, to withdraw, so you can be found by God. Jesus did it all the time. I mean, we, we are in this season of Lent, and we use the scripture of, of Jesus starting his public ministry by going out in the desert for how many days? Forty. So he was going out to be alone for 40 days. So he starts off his ministry uh, with a 40-day moment of solitude where he can interact with God, and then he gets tempted by the devil while he's out there as well. So it's solitude, it's a, it's a scary time as well. But Jesus did it. Before he picked the 12 disciples, he, the scriptures say he spent the night out in uh, the desert. Uh, so he, he withdrew when he heard that John the Baptist had died. He went out on the boat. The scriptures say he withdrew to go out and pray. Uh, I love this scripture. You can mark it and read it for later. 
at the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. In verse 35, that things are starting to warm up and move out in terms of his work. It says, early in the morning, well before sunrise, Jesus rose and went to a deserted place where he could be alone in prayer. If it's a good enough discipline for Jesus, we all need to find time uh, to be in solitude ourselves. Little solitudes, even in the midst of our days, we don't have to go out to the desert. We all don't get to go to the mountains every time we want to, or to the lake shore, or to the beach, or wherever you find solitude. Uh, but maybe on your tractor, mowing the grass can be a moment of solitude. Uh, maybe just going for a walk or walking the dogs can be a moment of solitude. In the car, while we're usually aggravated by traffic or the way other people are driving, can be a moment of solitude. Creating a quiet place like we talk to with the kids, deep within your home or in your workspace, that you can just get away for a moment. And then eventually building up and building on that in order to have significant times of quiet can be so good for your soul. So good for your spirit. And so good for reorienting yourself and being able to listen to God in quiet. Simplicity and solitude work together. It's countercultural. I encourage you to baby steps, just like Melissa and I are trying to do as well with our schedules and with our stuff. We, we have, we will, and we are making plenty of mistakes, as some of you are as well. But that doesn't mean we give up. Just try one thing today that will simplify your life in terms of your schedule and your stuff and build on it for tomorrow. Don't worry about it. Give it all over to God and let God do the work in you. But give it some simplicity and some solitude and see where in your life and what in your life can be transformed through that discipline. Amen? Amen. And God add a blessing uh, to this word. I invite you now to a time of confession.